And uh, so let's read together from verse 12 of chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning or complaining or arguing, we, we looked at last week, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Friends, uh, we have been reveling in this book as a, a wonderful help in how to finish well as a Christian. And uh, we can't say it often enough, but I want to remind you tonight that your life has a finish line. Amen? Oh, and if you're in Christ, it's a glorious one. It's a glorious one. And uh, this is what's on Paul's mind. He's talking about the day of Christ. There's going to come a day. He's spoken about it earlier in this chapter where every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that this Jesus is Lord. And as the church, we get to do so now. And live like it now. The world, unfortunately, the time is ticking. They'll only recognize it on that day. And if there's anybody tonight who does not yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior, this is your moment. Because the church prophetically is here saying, guys, it's coming. And we want to live well for that day. And uh, Paul was saying, guys, it's not just us and our enthusiasm that we're living with before God. It's actually his work within us. So it's not just our will to live well for Jesus. Man, this God of glory who willed everything from nothing is willing your furtherance in his kingdom and your progress in your faith. And that is such a comfort. But we can, like we said last week, have two possible responses to that work. We can either get excited. Unfortunately, God's work does tend to move forward in us through discomfort. We can either get excited that God is doing something here. James 1 verse 2 to 4 tells us we count it all joy. Uh, when we face trials of many kinds, because we know that God is working. He's working. Or what Paul said is we can grumble or complain. And uh, he said, don't be like that, guys. And the reason why we're going to just follow on the thinking tonight is he's saying this inner work of grace that you're experiencing every day in your life has an outward purpose. You see, what I was worried about last week and what we rescued from tonight is we can think that our Christian walk is just about looking inwards and how we're how we feeling about Jesus and where we are with Jesus, you know, like is our moral standing with him right? Friends, what Paul wants us to see tonight is that this inner work of grace has an outward purpose. And we pick it up beautifully when Paul says, guys, God is working in you. Why? Why? He says that you might be lights in this world. 
you might be an example of grace outwardly in your speech and in your life to a world that doesn't know it yet. And if we think that this is just an introspective journey, friends, it's not. Is our faith has an internal blessing that flows into an outward work of grace to a world that needs it. When Paul says, you are in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, what it means is it has been bent out of shape, and the grace of God in your life is the testimony of what God can put back together in Jesus Christ. But it's not something that's private. It's something that is public. And friends, this work of sanctification, this becoming like Jesus is a work that is going to be richly rewarded one day. And uh, my opening point is we must prepare for this day. It's, it's the day of Christ. And it's on Paul's mind. It's been on his mind since verse 6 when he said, He who began a good work in you, he's going to bring it to completion on the day of Christ. Uh, he wants the church to have wisdom and discernment that they might be blameless in verse 10 of chapter 1 for the day of Christ. And here he comes. He says, guys... What I'm interested in is this outworking of grace and the will of God in your life. It has an eternal reward. And he said, guys, it's coming. In verse 16, he says, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. As God works in you and puts you forward as an example to the world of this life in you, it's going to tell on the day when you stand before Jesus. Can I ask you a question tonight? What has been on your mind this last week? What have you been ruminating on? You know, like cows? You do that. Jesus. Well done, brother. Uh, you know, there was this, this picture that I had. Who remembers that, that high jump lady, History Clutter? Is that, was, it, was, it, was it History Clutter, hey? It might have been a bit before your time. Sorry, guys. But... What Paul is talking about here is running a race, and the race, the Greek word is treko, which is, which is specifically in the classical Greek, the, like the Olympic Games, it's, it's, it's running with incredible exertion in a contest, and there's a prize to be won. And, and Paul is gripped by this, this, this finish line of his life and for these Philippians and for us tonight. And, and he daydreams. And again, it's like history Clutter. What she used to do before she took that high jump, she was a bit, bit odd. But it paid off. She got lots of medals for it. She would look at that high jump, and then she would visualize. Going over, and she'd go, she'd do this. And then she'd look at it, and then she'd walk away. And she'd come in. And she'd stop, and she'd go. And she had visualized before she actually did it getting over that high jump. And, and this is what Paul wants us to be like. He wants us to, to have that same uh, daydreaming, that same focus. And that's the word treko. It, it is not just effort. It's being gripped by this, this finish line. And it's, it, is a, it, is a, it has an end point. And friends, that's what it's like. For us as Christians, we are to think about that high jump being that finish line. When we, are, we breathe our last, we want to get over that last hurdle well for Jesus. And uh, friends, if, if this life is the race in Paul's mind, which it is, this day of Christ is the awards ceremony. And let me just tell you, I know we're going to be a part of that awards ceremony, but the greatest one who's going to get the wreath of glory is Jesus. <laughs> but because we're in him and because we're part of his people, is we get to share in that moment of serving him. And friends, 
for Paul, he was so motivated by this day because he wanted the award of Christ glorifying the work of his hands. He wanted it to count. He wanted his life to count. And I was watching YouTube this week, and um, Arantxa Sanchez Vicario came. Oh, I'm giving her my age tonight. Anybody remember the, the tennis player Arantxa Sanchez Vicario? Man, she was Spanish, like, I remember, she even had that sort of like, vamos, you know, she had this, and uh, she, she was this tennis player that um, she just never gave up, and she was reminiscing about Barcelona, her home crowd in 1992, the Olympic Games was in her home city, and she was so determined for a podium finish, and, and you see these pictures of her standing, and the crowd just cheering for their, for their, their, their fellow Spaniard. And that's what it's like. Paul is saying, guys, the fact in Jesus that you're going to get to heaven, it is certain because you get there by his righteousness alone. You are qualified to run in this race because you have been clothed with the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And the, what he's talking about here, he's not worried about these guys not getting to heaven. He wants them to have something to show for it. That's the difference. Now that you know where you're going, you know how you should live. And Paul, when he says, I don't want to have labored in vain, that in vain in the Greek means empty-handed. I don't want to rock up knowing that this is my finish line and this is my glorious space wherever Jesus is going to prepare a place for me. No, no, rather I am straining my, my, my thoughts, my focus, my will towards this day when one day all that I have done for him is going to be remembered and I want something to show for Jesus and his goodness in my life. And you know what he's going to present? This is the thing that, that really got my attention. He's not going to present his great learning. Let me tell you, Paul is a genius. He's not going to present his, uh, his great uh, intellect. He's going to present the people that God had entrusted to him to love. Do you know what this kingdom is about, church? It's not the accolades of intellect. It's not about the accolades of achievements that uh, this world so prizes. Do you know what God is going to honor on that day? Is the people around you when they say to Jesus, I'm so grateful you brought Bryce into my life because he gave me more of you. You are going to be around the people that are going to honor Christ for having you in their lives. And I want to remind you today, your life is not by accident surrounded by specific people. And Christ is calling you, church, not just to introspectively work out this wonderful salvation with fear and trembling, but to realize that part of your responding to his voice in your life is he is going to call you to love the people he has handpicked for you. And I don't know about you, church, but I hope there will be some people on that day that will say to Jesus, thank you for Matt because he gave me more of you. That is our legacy is how we've loved. And, and I want to just uh, encourage you today, church. That can be seen or unseen. The people you pray for, they might not even know about it. The money you give, 
the service that happens behind the scenes, everything that you are doing to be a blessing to the people God has called you to, it will be remembered and rewarded. And on that day, you will be blessed for it. Who wants that tonight? I do. And I just have a sense that there are some here that are, have, are experiencing people in their lives that are difficult to love. Do you know that you were difficult for Jesus? And yet, we will be there because of the way he sacrificially laid down his life for us. Well, that's how we get there. And friends, there are people in your life that you are going to have the opportunity to tell Jesus to. You're going to have an opportunity to strengthen their faith in Christ. And friends, just the way that we get to heaven through this righteousness of Jesus, so you are called to be the same, to be an example of grace and love and goodness to a world that needs it. So you have a work to do. That's my second point. Uh, do you know that you have a ministry from God, every single one of you? Uh, I think it's a disappointing fact that uh, we talk about ministry being reserved for those that are called full-time. It's not true. Each of you have a priestly ministry. In, in, in verse 17, Paul implies it, or actually says it. He says, even if I am to be poured as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service, there are two Greek words there. I'm not too sure why the ESV combines it, but the, the King James is right there. There's a sacrifice and service of your faith. And uh, what Paul is saying is saying, guys, each one of you, uh, my ministry is being poured out on your ministry. And, and that, that's, that, that service in the Greek, liturgia is, is, is for priests. Each one of you are a priest in the kingdom of God. Each one of you have been given a ministry, a service in God's household. And uh, it is to God and to others. And, and friends, every single one of you have it. It looks different, but God has a ministry for you to do. And, um, and it is handpicked for you. Ephesians 2 verse 10 tells us that, the predetermined works that God has for you to do. And it is a, 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 a wonderful gift attached to your salvation. And Paul wants us to be motivated to finish the ministry he has for us to do. It will involve loving people, but it's actually specific people he's called us to. We'll see in a moment. And if you read Paul's letters, he will say it throughout. I mean, just think about Timothy. He says to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And he's saying to these Philippians, My life has been an outpouring upon the ministry God has for you to do. But now, my third point tonight then is, how do you know? How do you know what God has for you to do if there is this inner work inside of you? How do you know what that work is in terms of its outplaying in your life? Well, I want us, and this is basically the crux of the sermon so far. If you get this, you'll be fine. Is, um, guys, we need to follow the thought of Philippians. Remember what he's been saying, Paul? He says, first and foremost, it is God who is at work within you to will and to work for his good pleasure. And what we said last week was very important. We said that means we don't lead the process of God changing us in our lives. We are merely responding to it. He is the leader. Now, now I, I, I know that sounds like a repetition from last week, but if that sinks into your heart tonight, you will be changed forever. 
Because what that means is, please listen tonight. It means that what is required of you is to listen well in your life. Not to throw yourself into an endless need that the world is putting before you. Do you know what my definition of burnout is? This is my definition. Burnout is when we, as God's people, have stopped responding to Jesus and are only merely responding to need. And, and what I have been thinking about us tonight is if we are going to enter into the good work that God has for us to do, church, what he asks of us is not your capacity for work. Do you know that? We tend to think, and I do, I mean, if you read church history, and particularly, oh my goodness, when I was processing to do this, what I'm doing tonight is to give up secular, or I shouldn't even say secular, I just say pharmacy work um, for, for this. He's like, oh Lord, am I going to be blasted to oblivion? Because when I look at uh, people who have done this in the past, they never eat, they fast, or they could fall through drain pipes. You know, they, they pray all night. They, 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 they put forward this, this life that seems to me to be one of enormous capacity for work to the point that I don't know how they're surviving. And what I worry about tonight is when I say God has work for you to do from Philippians, you're stressed and going, oh my goodness, there's more to do. I've got, a, I've got my work, I've got my finances, I've got my friendships, I've got my fitness, I've got my studies. Now you are saying that God has a ministry for me over and above all these other things. Man, if I'm going to give myself to all of these things, man, I'm going to collapse. Does anybody feel stressed tonight every time someone up here tells you to do something more? <laughs> do you know what God is asking of you tonight, believer? is not for more sweat, but more sensitivity to his spirit. Can I ask you a question I'm asking myself tonight? How long can I go without staying close to Jesus? Who do I really believe knows better? This Jesus that started this good work and is determined to complete it or Matt Johnson, I'll put your name there, who hasn't got a very good track record of when things are in his hands, they turn out very well. Do you know what Christian maturity is, church? It's not your massing of knowledge. It's getting to know a person really well. And tonight, I just have in my heart for you the call to slow down and to ask the question, how long can you go without Christ's leadership at the forefront of your life? You see, the reason why it interests me is because when I read Paul, this guy worked really hard, right? I mean, do you know like, the life of Paul? It was, it was pretty impressive. <laughs> he can even say tonight, you know what? I'm offering up my life as a drink offering. If God decides to take my life, martyrdom, if that's his will, no problem. I don't see a man that's backing off passively because of a fear of work. Rather, I see a man that's willing to do anything if God asks him to do it. There's a difference. Are you with me tonight? 
And you know what? The real core of what you are offering God every day in your worship to Him is not your hands. Did you know that? It's not how hard you're going to sweat for Jesus today. Do you know what your offering is to God every day when you come before Him? It is your will. It is you being willing to say, God, if you ask me to do this today, I'll do it. And if you ask me not to, I won't. And and it's so simple. But really, as a church, if we are going to flow with what God is doing in us, then surely, church, we get better at being sensitive to what He is saying and what He is doing. Now, my, my piece de resistance tonight is the Philippians are living proof of this. Do you know how that church was planted? Can I tell you the story behind the planting of the Philippian church? Paul models what it means to walk with the leadership of the Lord over his life. Do you know how it started? Was he woke up one day and in his heart, he wanted to do something for the Lord. And he said to Barnabas, you know, I just really want to go and see the, the churches that we planted the first time we had an adventure for Jesus in Galatia, the south of Turkey. And he, he gets up and Barnabas says, that's great, Paul. Let's take John Mark. And Paul says, heck no. Ain't no way that guy's coming back with us. He's a spiritual wussy. I don't want wussies on my team. And Barnabas, he's, he, and Barnabas is the right guy, I just want to say. He's got faithful guys. That, that, that He's the kind of guy you want in the room to mobilize leadership that no one really has. Uh, he takes risks, put it that way. But they split. Not a great start. How much does life feel like that? When you, you, you want to do something, it doesn't start initially really well. And, and, and there you see Barnabas head off to Cyprus. And then you see Paul heads off with Silas and his, his ministry team. And they go back to the churches. He's just doing what's in his heart. But we see Paul's openness to the leadership of the Lord when he decides in Turkey to go, okay, well, we've now gone to Galatia. Let's go north to Bithynia. We've never been there before. Great idea. And do you know every single one of his ministry team said, great idea, Paul. Let's go for it. The second Paul takes a step towards going to Bithynia, the Holy Spirit speaks to him. And it says the Holy Spirit forbade Paul to, to go north. So Paul stops. And, and then he goes, okay, well, We've just been back behind us. We've gone north. Well, well let's go south into Asia Minor. And, and so he goes to the south of Turkey. And as he starts to go, the Holy Spirit forbids Paul. No, don't go there. Paul stops. And notice what he's doing. He's not stopping in terms of his living and his activity for the Lord. He is being aware that as he's making his directional decisions, God is the one that's guiding him. And, and so he can't go back. He can't go north. He can't go south. What does he do? He keeps going in the direction that he was going in. And what happens is he's carrying on, he's preaching, he's, he's praying, he's got peace to do this. And then suddenly he reaches the sea. Now to keep walking to the sea is not a good idea. So what does he do? He stops in a place called Troas. And what's fascinating for me is Paul doesn't make any decisions. In a sense, he's gone as far as he can with the sense of what God is, it's right in the Lord to do. And he waits. He waits. And then what does God do? He sends him the vision of the Macedonian man. And for the first time, something crossed the mind of Paul that had never come to him was ministry in Europe. And he goes over the little Aegean Sea, and the very first church he plants is in Philippi. What a brilliant model for seeing how God uses a life that remains open and dependent upon him. All of those would have been good decisions. New ministry grounds, new opportunities. But friends, he's not responding merely to need in his life. 
He's responding to the leadership of the Lord. And friends, the way he had it was he was constantly concerned with, are you happy with this, Jesus? And for some of us tonight, I worry that when you hear a life like that, you say, well, that's just for Paul. Some of us disqualify ourselves and say, well, I'm not privileged enough to hear God like that. Friends, if you are a believer in Jesus, the word is very clear. You're a sheep in his sheepfold. And when Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. But what we do is we over-spiritualize and we say, we've got to have Moses experiences before we take it seriously, right? Do you know how God works? It's through many ways, friends. But what he needs is an open heart to say, yes, Lord. And they're amazing. You know, I can give you some wonderful examples how God meets you during the day. A friend of mine was talking about this, and, and I don't know if you've done this, but he's right. He says, if you want to practice what it means to be open to the Lord, then you take him into the most mundane details of your day. Any of you ever rocked up at Hemingway's and it's a public holiday or it's like Christmas holidays and you can't find a parking? Or Vincent Park, anyone had that before? And you say, Lord, please help me find a parking. And I'm t- every time I do that, he helps me. I knew a little old lady. She, her name was Auntie Joyce. She was an octogenarian. She was so bent over. She used to do her shopping once a week. The only way she could get into the store was if she could have a parking right next to the entrance. She would leave in the car and say, Lord, today would you help me find a parking close to the door? And every single week, week by week, there was one waiting just for her. Now, you could say, that is so silly. Let me tell you, that is God. <laughs> and when you bring him into your office conversations or your counseling or your friendships, and you come in and you're saying, Lord, what are you saying? Would you just help lead this conversation? I'm open. I'm going to do it. I'm in, Lord. I'm not, I'm not sitting back and waiting for the divine green light before I put a tie on or put my pants on or whatever. No, I'm, I'm willing to live my life and get on with what I know is right, but I'm only willing to do it if it's serving you. That's the difference. And can I say to you today, that kind of life is promised to you. But may I also say today that is the kind of life that is only promised to someone who's humble. If you think intellectually you can do this of memory, of merely habit, you are going to miss the grace of God. And and why this is so so wonderful is because. Tonight, by God driving you towards Christ, you couldn't have a better master. (laughs) Can I tell you what else has been on my mind for you tonight, church? Is we are in a generation that is burnt out and exhausted and stressed to the max. And what I notice, and this isn't a heavy, it's just an observation I see in my own life. The church isn't much better than the world. I, don't, I know what the world needs is Jesus, but I also know what the church needs is Jesus. And, and can I just invite you to slow down tonight? Some of you are working 14-hour days, long hour. You've been in a rut. You, you know what it's like to go, God, my, my prayer times are crying out to you. I'm stressed beyond what human reason can cope with. Do you know what Jesus says to you? He says, you need to come to me. 
Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you know what rest is? When you stop merely responding to need or reacting to circumstance and you come under the leadership of the Lord and you get what you need to hear and that gives you clarity to move forward in your life. And if you have that, the peace that surpasses all understanding, the wonderful sense of, yes, I might be going back into that work, but I have a sense of what Christ is saying to me, which in the same sense, I mean, I have him with me. I have his yoke on me. If he's telling me to do it, I know there's going to be grace flowing for it. But if until I have that certainty, I don't really know who's holding this together. Is it me, God, or you? you got to help me out. And tonight, church, some of us have the joy of being called again to what it means to live with a sense of connection, a sense of need for Jesus. And you might be saying, I have been asking and God has been silent. Can I say Will you be willing to wait? It will be worth it. I'm not saying that you stop being responsible for the things that God has called you to do. But you are not ultimately responsible. He is. And I just have for you tonight the simple message of saying, do you want to know what your ministry is? Do you want to know what the boundaries of his grace towards you is? That when you walk in it, you can be like Paul, which is my final point. Absolute joy. You notice what he says in verse 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering. He's not saying he's going to do it. If he gets martyred, he's only going to do it if Christ tells him to. If Christ corners him for it. He's not going, I'm going to be a martyr. Yes, boo-hoo for you. I'll get the... No, no, he's saying, guys, even if God wills it, what my offering to him is, yes. I'll do it, but it's only if he wants it. And if he wants it, I'll do it, and I'll do it with joy. Do you know why? Do you know why it leads to joy? It's because the fundamental feeling you feel when you know you're not ultimately in control is a wonderful sense of peace. Not fighting, not having anything to prove, not defending, not trying to preempt every outcome. It is exhausting to live like you are ultimately in control. It's exhausting. But for the Christian who has learned to listen to the Lord, what they discover is this voice leads to such goodness in their lives, leads to such satisfaction, leads to the sense of a little whisper that you're on track with God and that you're open to the question of what are you living for? Or you can say, Lord, I'm living to say yes to you. Clear conscience, peace in the spirit, purpose in a sense of you are living out day by day what God is going to reward and bless, to be used by God. You know, when Paul says, I'm going to pour out my, 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 my life, even if I have to pour it out as a, as a drink offering, it's a drink offering is something that you pour on top of something else. <laughs> he could say, I do it joyfully because Philippians, when I look at you, I see God's goodness to me that I got to be a part of what he's doing in you. It's glorious. But you will find it only if you will accept his leadership over your life. This joy is not just for Paul. He says, likewise, you also Philippians, you also SBC, should be glad and rejoice with me.
Tonight is a simple invitation. Who's going to lead your life? And what does that mean? It means, are you going to offer up to Jesus your will, your sensitivity to his voice and leadership over your life? If you will do that tonight, you will live well, my friend. Let's pray. Jesus, we feel secure tonight because you have modeled this for us. The words that ring out in my mind tonight are in Gethsemane, where you, Lord, had to offer up your will to say yes to the, your Father, where you said, not my will, but your will be done. You only went to the cross because you had a certainty that the Father was in it. But you asked... You asked, you said, Lord, please, if there's another cup. But you surrendered to this amazing Father. And Lord, tonight, where there has been wrestling in our hearts, questioning and doubts, Lord, I, I just want to pray, even, even if there's an ask around doing the righteous thing, Lord, I just want to pray for us tonight that we would say yes to you again. We would say yes to you, Lord. We wouldn't trust a wicked and crooked generation. <laughs> but we trust the one who's putting us back together so beautifully. And so, Lord, I pray for a fresh yes. Not just for what you ask, but, Lord, for your leadership in every area of our lives. And I pray tonight that we would grow in our capacity to be sensitive towards you. I think of the Proverbs, hasty feet fall in ruin. And we want to pray tonight, Lord, we're committed, we're committed to run, but Lord, we want you to coach us. We want you to coach us. And Lord, you're the best coach ever. You say you are lowly and gentle in heart. You say to us, Jesus, you will not break us but rather you will lead us into abundant life. Lord, that is your promise. You've started the work in us. Lord, we want to say yes to it. And we want to say to you, Jesus, here we are. Here we are. Our sacrifice and service is yours. You're worthy of it, Jesus. So I'm going to ask us to stand. I'm going to ask uh, Byron, won't you come up and just... Just let us stand for a moment. Um, just stay focused. Yeah, as I'm praying, I've just felt um, I have said yes for you, but I would love you to say yes for you. And um, as Byron prays, I just want you to think of your life again, like Jesus in Gethsemane. And to say, God, I am yours. My will is yours. Yes, Lord, this, these hands are yours, these feet, this mind, this mouth, but, but Lord, we want to give them to you according to your will. Would you say that to him tonight? And we're just going to take a moment. You talk to him. Perhaps he'll talk to you.
let's just respond to this call to offer up ourselves to him again. since um, the Lord wants to say where I call you I'll keep you where I call you I'll keep you I also just sense that there are some that have really struggled tonight to release control of their lives um, and I, there's an opportunity to pray for you I just get a sense of God wanting to minister to you tonight if you are going God I, this sounds good in theory but I don't know if I can yield to you um, we'd love to pray for you tonight and you can come forward um, we'd love to pray for you and if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus uh, you you know church you, you know the familiarity of what this is, but you don't know him personally. He is calling you tonight to come into his fold. This is the privilege of the one who bows the knee to Jesus and uh, says, you are my Lord and Savior. If you have not done that personally, you need to do that tonight. And then this is for you. Yeah. So, um,